All right, guys, how are you doing? Thank you so much for joining us for episode seven of the Football Coaches Hub podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by Oxford United's professional development phase lead, who is currently also involved in the first team. A former Oxford United Academy player, Liam began coaching with the Foundation Age Groups in 2012 and over the last seven years has worked his way up to now lead professional development phase. Leon holds a UEFA A licence and led the under-18s at Oxford to their first ever league title in the academy in 2018-19. Over his time with the academy, Blackmore Such has worked with many clubs, many of the club's graduates, including Shandon Baptiste, Napa, Fabio Lopez, helping to prepare them for the demands of first-team football. This is an episode not to be missed. We talk about performance mindset in the professional game. We delve into Leon's mind and ask him about his playing and coaching background, what a high performance mindset is, and the power of talent and mindset together, and the culture that allows high performance players to flourish and perform. You can listen to the podcast okay, on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Subscribe to the channel for episodes as and when they're available. Take care and catch you all in the next one. Right, Leon, uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. No problem. Uh, glad to be here. Good. Um, so just for the listeners, um, anyone listening, if you just sort of say what your role is at Oxford um, and just sort of tell us what, what that, that involves. Yeah, so my current uh, official role is lead PDP coach, which means I deal with anything under 16s to under 21. So I, I lead that program, obviously with the, the COVID situation since since December, I've obviously moved up into the, the first team bubble as well. So again, some good experience um, for myself from a coaching point of view, obviously working alongside the manager and Shorty, the assistant manager who are, uh, yeah, two very experienced guys. So a little bit more involved in that at the moment, but obviously keeping a, an eye out on the, the under 21s and 18s also. So yeah, slightly different for the last two months, but like I said, the official one is the 16s to 21s. Oh, good. Um, and is, is, and the, is it the 18s who've got quite a big game tomorrow, haven't they? Yeah, they got Newport away. So the the boys, obviously, before Christmas, we played played 15 games, uh, which me and obviously Chris Hackett, who I, who I was working with then, led, left them in a, a good situation where they had to win sort of three out of the six or four out of the six. So mm. it goes down to the last game, Newport away. They win tomorrow. They uh, They win the league, which they finish ahead of Bournemouth. So it's always a competitive one, us and them. Bournemouth done us last year and uh, we did on the year before that so it's, it's our turn again this year so hopefully we'll go down to Newport and uh, get the job done. Good stuff mate, good. Right, um, so if we start with um, just your sort of brief, what, whatever your playing career and then sort of how you got into into coaching right from the start if that's right. Yeah, no worries, I, like any other young lad, I obviously just into football, played play grassroots as you, as you do. Summertown Stars was me, me first team, I grew up in Wolvercote first, that was me first family home. From there, moved over to Florence Park. Um, I guess I did, yeah, I had a few sort of trials and that around when I was younger. I went to Oxford originally under nines and and they said no. So people that I work with now, I, I give them a bit of stick. Les Taylor said no to me then. I, I wind him up a little bit, but obviously in the end they got it right. But yeah, then um, from there, moved into different academies. I spent a little bit of time at Southampton, uh, a little bit of time at, at Reading, and then eventually signed up at Oxford after spending a year um, playing a year up for Kidleton. Gary Parker was my coach at the time and I ended up signing for 
for Oxford at my own age group at under 13 and spent three years there till under 16. So it was a, it was a weird one. I was one of those, I was a talented footballer without, yeah, everyone has their deficiencies and mine was the, the physical side of it. Matt, I didn't really dedicate myself to, to being a footballer. If you asked me when I was 13, 14 at Oxford, what I wanted to be when I was older, I said, I want to be an accountant or manage England. So subconsciously <laughs> it was, it was always there to coach, I think, in a, in a weird way, but yeah, it, it then sent me on a journey where I got to sort of start up under 16s. And I remember having a meeting with, it was Chris Allen at the time. He was my, my coach under 16s and Leslie Academy manager then. And I just said, this, this isn't for me. So in different ways as a player, I, I learned a lot around that process. I probably didn't deal with pressure that well. I didn't make the best decisions with the people that I was hanging around with. I wasn't living the, the right life, but that, that kind of then led me to coaching and probably as we go on through this and we talk about it, those experiences probably led me to be why I'm so passionate about making sure young boys kind of do the right thing now. So, yeah. yeah that, so that, that, that was going to be my next question. Sort of when was the sort of turning point when you when you sort of realised that you wanted to, to get your head stuck into, into the coaching? I suppose that would be it. Yeah, I remember um, when I was literally the, the summer of finishing under 16s, I started doing the community work straight away as, as you do as a young coach. Yeah. 16 obviously had some good good links with the club anyway being there for for a long time Peter Rose Brown let me jump on the community stuff so I started doing that enjoyed that and then from the back of that straight away at 16 done my level one and level two at, at 16 sort of back to back and then led to me coaching the under nines and tens obviously part-time while still being at college doing like your b-tech in sport and stuff that that's kind of the, the route I went so I was went straight into coaching from 16 obviously at a, a young age and yeah just I had a knack for it, I guess. I obviously enjoyed it, which is which is important and passionate about it. And for whatever reason, found that I was I was alright at it. So I obviously stuck at it, and yeah, it led me to progressing a little bit further with it. Good. Um, back then, obviously, when you like you said, you got involved with the community programs and stuff like that. How, how important is it to to be good with people? So obviously, you're probably working with really young children back then, and sort of getting to know sort of you and how you can deal with children of all ages and stuff. How important was that? You, you learn more then than you do now. In essence, it sounds, it sounds, obviously the, the pressure and the intensity as you get further on at the moment, obviously seeing first team games and being around the pros, the pressure and intensity is there. Mm. In some ways it's actually easier to, to put on sessions and stuff because you're working with people of certain knowledge. I remember being at schools when, when you're on your own and, 35 kids turn up and being able to deal with those situations you learn more about yourself as a as a coach or person then than you do when you're putting passing drills on for for 20 professionals so yeah that side of it is in terms of your own development and how you control people and as you go through the younger ones you have different parents different personalities it's it's certainly challenging but something that I'd recommend to all once you put yourself out there you you learn so much and you won't always get it right but that, that's for sure you'll be in situations where you think I don't want to do this anymore or I don't even know what I'm doing here. And, and you're, just, you're just trying to find a way of getting through and getting yourself home. But it, it's all good learning that obviously puts you in, a, in good experience for as you hopefully move on in your, in your coaching or, or playing journey. Excellent. Um, so was there one coach or one person that was quite a big influence on you? So a role model or anything like that in terms of coaching? Uh, I was always, it, it sounds, obviously there's people around me like when, my first full-time role, I remember going in um, and Chris Allen was the youth team coach. And when I, I left university to take a, a job role at Oxford, which involved coaching the under nines, the under 16s and then assistant at the youth team. So from that point of view, seeing 
somebody coached full-time, I'll always have tremendous respect for Chrissy Allen in terms of that. But then I was just quite, it sounds crazy. I was just so ambitious. I was just looked at the top ones, obviously, when I was younger, like Mourinho just first burst onto the scene and Pep takes over at Barcelona. I was always looking at those guys, just trying to think, like, just imagine one day, obviously, being at that level. I just thought, if I can take anything from the top, top guys, it's, it's going to help me. But from someone close to me, Chrissy was always the first one. So obviously that's the first experience I had of somebody uh, within the full-time game. So just learning about structures and stuff like that was, was yeah, the, the, the main side of it, which I hadn't experienced before. So Chrissy from a, a close personal level, then the top, top guys that I just, yeah, I just obviously buzzed off just seeing them around and especially Jose, not really like myself in terms of having that playing background. It, it kind of inspired me to say, yeah, there is opportunity for hopefully one day to, to go on a journey somewhere, anywhere near that. So, yeah. Yeah, perfect. No, I'm, I'm similar. So whenever I see sort of a good coach or something that I like, I think it's important that sort of you take what they're using or, or and try and use it with your own set of players. And, and some, some things might fit, some things you might look at and think, that ain't going to work with my players. Yeah, sure. But I suppose that's the most important thing, isn't it? Just sort of taking bits from other people and, and learning as much as you possibly can along your journey. Yeah. Good. Right, so we're going to talk a little bit about performance and mindset, yeah. if that's all right. Yeah, yeah, of course. So um, what is what is a sort of high-performance mindset to you? I just said, so obviously when you sent through, which I appreciate the, the sort of questions, I like to just take notes and stuff. And mm. there's three things that kind of stuck out to me from, from that question. Allowing growth is, is important in terms of that mindset, somebody that's not so fixed in what they are. So in terms of, I know you hear the, the 1% and stuff, but when you get to a top end, an elite end of, of football, the small margins can be the ones that are the most important. And you've got to look at all aspects of that, not just solely on the pitch, how you look after yourself from recovery, from a nutrition point of view, that anything you can do, your analysis in terms of the detail you'll go into around looking at your own game, looking at opposition, those small, small margins for me on the mindset side is, is so, so important. And then along that, having high standards because it's important Obviously, you can educate yourself and, and, and look at it where you look at your analysis and stuff. But if you don't take the high standards around that, then you're not setting yourself up to do well. So having the high standards around the, the 1% stuff. And then the last bit around that mindset is the discipline in terms of your decision making. And like I said to you at the beginning of this, it wasn't something that from my own experiences, I, I had that. That's something that I had to, to grow with it. And I personally think that's in your DNA as a person. I think that's very hard to coach and Put onto people I, I say to to coaches and people that I see you either grow out of it or you get shocked out of it if you don't have it initially as a, as a young person so that mindset if if you're not 14 15 16 17 and you're so hungry and desperate to to be the best unless something life-changing happens in in your life and you get shocked out of it I, I can't see you changing or from my own experience I got to a point where I was then 24 25 26 27 those years where I grew out of being, in essence, immature around my own discipline to then obviously see life differently and football differently. So from my own experiences, that's that's the that's the three kind of points that that question stands out to me, mate. Yeah, great. Totally, totally agree, especially with the last one. That's a, that's a big one for me. Um, so if we were to split as a percentage um, talent and mindset, okay, what would be what would be your split? Um I say 50-50, if I'm, if I'm yeah. being honest, when I look at it. Um, again, there was a good quote that came out from the a Liverpool Academy manager, and he said, talent gets you to 16 
18 if you're lucky and then character gets your character and mindset gets you to 35 so if you look at that from a a landscape point of view of your career that's about 50 50 and i'm a i'm a big believer of of that if you look at football as an industry you have to be talented to be elite at it then you have to have that high performing mindset to go along with that talent i can't i've got a high performing mindset in playing the guitar but if i've got no talent initially to play the guitar as much as i work it it's never going to happen so i think i think you can split it right down the middle and say 50 50 for for me and obviously they're the the kind of reasons why 100 on that mindset bit so with obviously with the players at oxford you got you work with a lot of players and it's a lot about development when they're younger and then they sort of hit a point where there it becomes about winning and they and they need to be able to learn to get results at what at what stage do you think it's almost imperative that they need to have that winning mindset i think the obviously my my initial phase of taking under 16s through to the youth team mm-hmm. and you go into uh, a league structure a league format i think then it, it should be made attention to the players it shouldn't be the sole focus but understanding that your next step, like you, you'll, you'll know from going from youth football, there's no in-between now. You go from youth football into men's football and everything's about winning. That, that's your yeah. job, that's your livelihood, that's that's how you earn your money in terms of making sure you get three points. So if at 16 through to 18, you don't have some emphasis on that, you are selling the, the boys or the lads short in terms of that, that next step for them. So as they come into from under 16s where they're part-time and they hit the full-time environment, I think that's that's something that has to be has to be done. So so yeah. Yeah, definitely, totally agree. Um, good. So when uh, whenever you bring a new player into a club or you recruit a new player, it might be sort of a younger player. Yeah. Um, how how important is it is it to have someone that has a really good mindset, a good person that wants to learn, wants to get better, wants to improve, um, over just seeing them and sort of, oh, he's a good player. He, he, he's going to be great for us. And then he sort of comes in and you've sort of realised that he hasn't got all those values, those behaviours that are going to sort of get him through to potentially the first team. How important is it to sort of do your homework a little bit and now, find out a bit about the person? Yeah, us as an academy, we're, we're big on it, to be fair. Mm. I mean, the COVID situation for recruitment this summer has probably been the most challenging where obviously meeting new players where we haven't had them from years and years through the academy when you re- uh, recruit externally lads from, from Fulham, wherever they come from. So we've had to go more of a, a Zoom route where we still want to get people on Zoom asking questions and that. But us as a club, we have our five values um, that we go through and players have got to hit that criteria. I mean, if they don't, then we'll turn good players away if they if they don't suit us. And that that's for the benefit of us as a club, but also for them as players, because you know that certain clubs have need or want certain personalities and, and we're no different from that. So, our personality type that we want at Oxford might be completely different to the personality types that they want at AFC Wimbledon, for example. And for the players to go and progress from our youth team into our first team, they have to hit those personality types. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go as much character reference as we can. Obviously, we'll pick up the phone in terms of networking and find out what we can. We'll also spend time uh, speaking to, to players. And that's not just one. That's not just from a, Leon, you, you lead the PDP, you go and find out what he's like. That's from a head of analysis, go and see what he's like when you sit down with him and do huddle. From an education point of view, when you sit down with him, we have Matt Jarvis who leads up our education. Is he good at education? Does he want to educate himself? So, yeah, we go around the sort of different areas to make sure they are they are the right people. Yeah, brilliant. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. You might, Hopefully you'll remember him. But uh, do they, I guess the, 
academy and stuff has values. Um, do you know what they are and sort of does it sort of align with that as well? Uh, I can lie, I can tell the truth or lie, they're in the window in front of me. So oh, I can say, yeah, but nah, I, I do it. Nah, and they're there, so it's easy, but resilient, relentless, uh, relational, ruthless and responsible. And then we always have a, a subheading underneath. So when we say resilient, we can adapt to any situation, that sort of staff yeah. as players. Relational, we're saying integrity underpins everything that we do in terms of being good people, relentless, and our little subheading is no club or person outworks us in the country. And you go on, this is the standard side of it where excellence is the only only standard we judge ourselves off. So it's quite a good little way that we, it makes it simple but clear from what we want from staff and players. So obviously that comes from the academy manager and that's, that's kind of how we work. We work from that. Yeah, yeah. Does that run through to the first team? Is that something that sort of gets spoken no, about in the first team? You, not, the, not from that point of view. That's our academy value. So obviously with the EPPP and stuff, certain things have to be done yeah. um, um, for that, which which brings out some, some good work. But obviously making the jump from currently with the 21s and 18s and now obviously spent the last two and a half, three months with the first team. Their values, obviously, when you go into a first team, are different. Where they're they're not on wars and stuff everywhere, but mm. it, it's still there. You know that the manager's good on his own values as a as a person. I mean, he his background is is Liverpool, and then I mean, he speaks around when he used to work with young players, and every time he used to leave training, it was like before you're a good player, what must you be? And every player at Liverpool would be like a good person, and it's like make sure you go and thank your mum and dad or whoever brought you today. So his values, obviously are similar to, to what we're doing anyway. So it's a, it's a good flow throughout from top to bottom or bottom to top, whichever way you want to look at it, mate. Amazing. Cool. Um, right, so we're going to talk a bit about, about you, obviously, as a coach and obviously about the collective um, unit. So how much of a difference do you think you make? And then, or how much of a collective thing is it to, to obviously achieve the goals of the club? Yeah. Um, I, from a difference point of view, and it's what I said I think the wording of difference, it means I don't think we make that much difference, if I'm honest, yeah. in terms of your most important thing in any situation, whether you work in the first team or an academy, is recruitment of players, and we call it raw material. So mm-hmm. if good players are there in your building or good players are in your first team, you know that you've got a chance or they've got a chance of obviously progressing through. Um, and that's the most important thing. I think my job more than anything is create an opportunity rather than making a difference. So create an opportunity to learn tactically, for example, through training or create an opportunity by setting high standards so they take that into their everyday values in life or create an opportunity by speaking to the first team manager and the good relations. My job's more creating opportunities for them than, than making a difference because ultimately if I'm there to create opportunities, it's down to the boys and it'll always be down to players whether they want to go and take those opportunities. So yeah. To say, do I make a difference or does staff make a difference? Yeah, like I said, not, not the difference is not not a word I'd use, but we'll create opportunities for them. And yeah, you're you're you're, you're opening the doors. It's up to them to go and, and sort of achieve what they need to achieve. One hundred percent. On a like I said, on the, the collective point of view, I mean, when you first start anything, you're, you're naive to stuff. You'd think for football and it's changed and evolved so much in the I've been doing full time nearly 10 years now obviously with Oxford and used to think everything falls on the football coach and used to take it the, the most I've learned is how important using everybody is so when you say the collective point of view you understand that in this game now there's so many personality types that 
not every single player that I have, I'm going to be the person that they need. I need to understand that the SNC coach or the analysis personality might suit them more. Yeah. And also respect the fact that there are specialists in this industry. So if somebody's their deficiencies is the physical side of it, there's no point in me taking the lead on that. I have to understand that we have specialists now that, that deal with that side of it. My job just to make sure that obviously I'll create meetings or set standards for the staff that obviously work directly under me, but respect the fact that they've done done their work as much as I have and you'd be naive to stand in the way of that. How, how much have you seen it change over 10 years? Sort of how many sort of people available to the players now and, and different specialists available to players? Has it changed dramatically or has it been a slow process? Uh, it's, it, it seems to be gradual, but all of a sudden, probably the last two, two and a half years, it's just jumped up massively and ramped up massively, mm-hmm. especially from obviously United's point of view. Obviously, I can't speak for, for every club around, but I mean, when I first started, it was me, Chrissy, Alan and a physio. Mm. Then introduced an SNC coach as, as part of that. Um, and then, yeah, like the analysis side of it, you'd have players on the side videoing games and you'd just sort of watch 90 minutes back yourself and make notes. But now we're talking, you have analysis for age groups, you have full-time SNC coaches for age groups, you have heads of recruitment, heads of education. Like, I mean, our staff's gone from, there's one point where Chrissy had moved on to the first team. I was leading the, the youth team. So we had me, one physio, one SNC, and and that was it. So yeah, three members of staff, and now we're talking there's sort of 14, 15, 15 of us around the academy full time. So all for the better, of course. Like, oh yeah, before the, it's about creating opportunities, and if you can specialise in every area, not just from a football point of view, from a transition point of view out of football, we have people that focus on that. Send people to America for education, like you said, the the physical side of it. You have people specialising in the gym, nutritionists, psychologists, like. It's all there now for, for the boys to have that opportunity in, in every area to, to progress. So it's definitely for yeah. the better. Um, it took myself a while to, to kind of get used to it. And managing staff members was different. And I'm quite, uh, we've been quite independent and took everything on myself. So giving stuff back out at first was, was yeah. not easy. It was not easy, but something I've learned and you have to learn when you see the, the top end now and how many people they have, it, it doubles and triples to the amount we've got. So to say you, you want to be in control and, and do everything, but you literally can't anymore. So, yeah, the growth is there and it's been for the better, as I said. Oh, yeah, definitely. Totally agree as well. Um, good. So we'll we talk a bit, a little bit about the environment at Oxford and the culture. So, um, obviously, it sounds great. It sounds amazing, obviously, what's going on. And, and many clubs like to have a, a, a sort of culture and stuff. But um, would, that, would that culture work in an environment outside of football, do you think, sort of a work environment or uh, somewhere else? There's, there's two sides of it because... There's things that happen in football in the workplace that just wouldn't happen anywhere else. Like it just it just wouldn't in terms of the nature of being outside with with groups of men or women, whichever sort of side you work in it. Um, sometimes the banter and stuff you have, you wouldn't have in a different workplace. <laughs> you know that you've been there, mate. You've played yeah. coaching now, so. You know, you'd, be sacked, you'd be sacked in some line of. Uh, you spend a lot of, of time in the HR office if you're in yeah. a lot of other businesses, but yeah, from a. From an actual business point of view, I, I mean, it's one of the only only industries where there's so much emotion attached to it. I, mm. I really do believe if you if you can lead in football, if you have enough knowledge of whatever industry you go into, you can lead in anything. Mm. Just from from how like you said the, the emotions. If 
if you don't pick people and how people react and, and players react and all the stuff you have to deal with, with winning and losing and being in the spotlight, the public eye, like you, you don't get that in, in many other businesses and industries. Like you go to work, you perform, you, you come out of it, you go home. Whereas this is, this is full, full tilt. Like this is your, your whole life. So I, I'm a big believer that the leaders in football, as much as it looks glorious on the eye and on the telly, the high pressure and stuff that comes with it and the emotion. I think, I think if you put them in an industry where it's maybe less pressured, they're dead excited. Yeah, yeah. I'm being honest, mate. But you have a, you have a couple of bad weeks in a, in a football job and that could potentially you be gone. I suppose in another line of work, you, a couple of weeks down the line, if you haven't done the best of jobs, you'll probably be given a couple of chances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's such a hot, hot, hot environment, isn't it? It's, it's, you have to get results and you yeah. have to sort of make sure that everything's, it's yeah, why you love it, though, right. mate. To be fair, it's it's why you love it, so. Oh, exactly, exactly. Right, good. Um, so, can you tell me, um, two or three? Do two or three? I'm sure you you have a couple in your head that um you expect from players, but three non-negotiable traits. Yeah, the one that I've always been big on since being here is leaving a legacy, and what I mean by that is just being better than the the ones you were before. And I, I told myself, obviously, when I started, if if I can make it better every single year, then hopefully that means the standard of player improves, the standard of coaching myself improves. But leaving that legacy for the next one is a is a non-negotiable. And every time I have like a, a pre-season meeting, that'll be the first thing that I, I say to these boys and the staff that obviously I'm sort of in charge of, just leave a legacy for the next one. So whatever you're, if you're the right back, be the best right back this club has ever had or the youth team has ever had. If you're the current SNC coach be the best one take it further than it's ever been before so the next one picks up from a better place so knowing from a long period of time and longevity you'd hope that over six seven eight and now it's like nine going on to ten years that you put everything that you you work for in a in a better place so yeah leaving that legacy is obviously the the first one that I kind of stand for and, and push push on to the the boys and staff and then the second one for, for me is more from my own experiences is just having no regrets or could of I say like I could have worked harder on that day or I could have I could have sorted my crossing out if I'd have spent more time on the grass just don't have those could ofs because you'll sit at an age where like I said you get to 25 26 27 and you you look at things a little bit differently those could ofs stick in your mind a little bit and there, there's a lot of them out there so just make sure you don't don't be one of those could ofs so they're the two main ones from off the field. On the field, I just drive intensity and, and standards. Yeah, that, that's the big thing in terms of the work rate and how much you put into it. It sounds very generic, but yeah, how you go about it. Obviously, you, you have to see more on a, a day-to-day basis on sort of how you control players or how you, you interact within sessions. But the two away from football, like I said, the legacy and the, yeah, make sure you've got no regrets, mate. They're the, they're the two. No, right? I like that. Yeah, I, normally when I ask this question, they sort of just look at sort of little bit key uh, key behaviours. But I like yours. You sort of raise your uh, broaden your horizons and sort of look past that. And, and yeah. that's and that, that's I'm going to take that away. Definitely, well done. Um, so we'll go last bit, okay? And then we're gonna I'll go do a couple of little quick fire questions. We are just at the end. Yeah. No um. So one bit of advice for a player. So a player that's obviously wanted to to try and push themselves as far as they possibly can and fulfil their potential. And then also a coach wanting to sort of carve their, themselves away in the game. Yeah, I, whenever you have good and bad moments and, and days, it always reverts back to the same thing. And it's 
love the game. It, it sounds so, yeah, like cliche and stuff, mate, but just have that love for the game, whether you're a player trying to be the best player and play at the top. It, if you love it, you'll, you'll put everything you can into it. From a coaching point of view, I love every aspect of it. And that's the, the difficult moments as well, because what I say is our worst days are some people's best days. I'll go out and train and have a terrible training session, but I've been outside on the grass for two and a half hours kicking a football around and that's my worst day. And so that's how I say it. So no matter if you're a player, a coach, love the game and always remember that your worst days are, are some people's best days. So with the love of the game, it has to come with sacrifice and discipline. Like I say to you, all those other generic terms you'll hear, but just have a, a rationale behind all that. And for me, it's just absolutely loving the game, whether I'm watching kids or conference or on telly champions league i'm just there i just love every moment of it and, and yeah take it all yeah in. i'm the same mate just obsessed basically i'd watch any game any game on the tv at any time i'd go out and watch love obviously playing um and that's exactly how you got to be if you want to if you want to have time in the game because there's also obviously lots of limited opportunities in football as everyone everyone wants to be involved in football so um that's what's got to set you apart. Good. Um, and then a player? I'd say to say that's what I said to you just then, just as a, as a player, because, I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with some fantastic players and some less fantastic players, but they all go through the same emotions and the, the same difficulties and challenges. And if you come away from the, that main factor of loving the game and, and playing with a real smile, which then gives you the desire to, to do well, you're never going to really hit the heights or work as hard as you want to work. It's one of those industries where you can generally come to work to better yourself, but at the same time, love what you're doing. I'm not being funny. If you're a left winger and you've got a practice coming inside to, to finish on your right foot, like if you don't love doing that, for example, then you're never going to bet yourself at it. If you're a have you, uh, have you come across players that sort of, even at the top level, that come into to training and work and they don't see it and they don't enjoy it? There's always a few, like, like you say, everyone's personality is different there. I will say the ones that you do see like that don't genuinely have longevity in the game. They don't yeah, last yeah. as long as the others, the ones that are not willing to work or show a genuine passion just to, like say, love the game. They sort of fizzle out a little bit quicker. And then it goes back to the, the question at the beginning on the, the mindset and the, the talent side of it. But yeah, you'll see players and young boys like that and through different faults of the game opportunities are limited or decisions go against them mm. people don't get picked things away from life have factors on on young players it's it's everything sort of falls onto that but yeah if you do come away from not loving it and wanting to practice then your longevity certainly certainly don't last good cheers leon um so we've got a couple of just quick five questions that just just to finish off mate um <laughs> so cup final win or League champ, league champions, league champions, all day long. Good. Uh, Messi or Ronaldo? Oh, I'm Ronaldo. I am Ronaldo. Good. And what we need to do is, uh, you got any player to pick in any generation, any team, anywhere? Your best five-a-side team. Oh yes. Uh, Peter Schmeichel in goal. <laughs> yeah, you know, so Michael, I'm just old enough to remember that era. So yeah, I think yeah. five aside when I need a, a big goalkeeper charging out on strikers, I think he'll uh, spreading himself yeah. during a score pass out of the final time. I'll have 
Terry and Ramos, my two defenders in a 2-2-1. You need someone in a 5-0 for a defender that can score. And you also need someone, and you imagine Terry turns up every day because in a 5 not everyone wants to defend. <laughs> you need, uh, yeah, yeah, you need Terry to, to be that one that makes people track runners and, and do, do their job properly as well as doing his job. But I'd have Terry, the two in midfield in a 5-0. Oh, I'm going to go... Oh, wow, this is tough. <laughs> Can't go all out attack. I've got to have some balance. I've got Zidane and Gerard in my mind. Then oh, Zidane, the... Zidane is a 5 0 player, mate. He's got to be in there. I know, it'd be incredible. I'm going to have to put, I'm going to go Zidane in the middle. I've changed my shape. Yeah. One in the middle. Yeah. Ronaldo and Messi are two up top. So I've gone for a dice in 5 0, mate. So not a bad team, I don't think. I, I remember you not being too bad at 5 0, to be fair. Nah, it was me, I'm wasn't it? Four pitches, technical. That was that was me. So <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put myself in there, though. That's for sure with them boys. <laughs> Good, mate. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, good luck for the rest of the season good luck tomorrow thank you very much and uh, I'll speak to you soon top man cheers Leon take care mate take care bye bye